Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the 23rd of September. We didn't play the intro card. Who's we? You're behind the panel. You turned my microphone on. I started speaking. No, we'll just go. No, just be quiet. We'll go to the intro card. All right. I'll actually turn your mic off. How misogynist. Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite by this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Silenced by Pierre. That's what happened. But but not only that, at least it was recorded this time. It went out on the airwaves. Two minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. And You're Mr. listening. To Asia Pacific Currents. <laughs> You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. <sighs> Pierre, tell us about the weather. But before you do introduce it. Um, introduce oh, it. Yes, all right. I'll introduce the weather. Time now for Pierre's weather report. According to personal feelings and observations... And definitely not based on any science. Spoken by C. Benito and definitely not endorsed by the Bureau of Meteorology. What is your I, non-scientific I, I, I think, weather report? I think this is going to be a hard uh, <laughs> show here. Um, um, listeners, I can actually tell tell that, but I'll try and do my best and to keep her under control. But, um, yeah, the weather is out there. It's uh, warm and cloudy. It was supposed to be windy, but it's still very, um, very uh, still. So it's nice. Warm anyway, and cloudy. There so what have we got on the show for... Today and how do people can get in touch with us, uh, Giselle? Get get focused. Okay. Get focused. <laughs> All right, there are a few questions in there. Let me deal with contact details first. If you do want to, so obviously for those of you who don't know, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web, all the w's uh, We're on Twitter and Facebook, so. Find us on those social media platforms. You can also email us at aawl at aawl.org.au. Um, in terms of what's coming up on the show today, I had the opportunity to speak with uh, Walsan Liam, who is the Director of International Affairs and the Reunification Work uh, for the KPTU, the Korean Public Service Union. Um, they are the biggest affiliate of the KCTU, um, so they're the, the the biggest proportion of that. The work around reunification is being done on behalf of the entire labour movement, so on the um, through the KCTU. We spoke about North Korea, we spoke about the possibility of war, and we spoke about what the labour movement is doing in response. So you'll hear that interview in the second part of the show. Um, sounds um, very, very interesting and a, and a um, view that we often don't hear about it. We'll go straight to our news um, items, but before I say that, thanks to Solidarity Breakfast for a very interesting program, and the music that you heard there was Kate Purcell singing Lily Marlene. I have to say, I like that one. Very uh, atmospheric. Anyway, we go to uh, to West Asia, where the autonomous Kurdish region in northern Iraq will hold a referendum on September 25th, giving the choice to, in- to its inhabitants as to whether they want to become an independent state or not. Given the current wars in Syria, Iraq, and the autocratic governments of both Turkey and Iran, the possible outcomes and ramification of this vote are unpredictable. Many of the governments around the region have tried to stop the referendum going ahead or have threatened military action. 
While the leadership of the Kurdish autonomous region is widely seen to be corrupt and anti-worker, the desire for an independent Kurdish country is very strong and opens all kinds of possibilities for working class communities. And uh, looking at the the situation in relation to war, again, the escalating war of words between the US President Trump and North Korean Chairman Kim is dangerously increasing tensions on the Korean Peninsula. Given the destruction that the US military caused in North Korea during the war in the early 50s and its use of nuclear weapons on Japan in 45, there's widespread fear among working class communities that another devastating war could break out. In South Korea, peace activist Jo Young-sam set himself on fire in protest against the deployment of new military hardware. The South Korean Union movement has now joined the regional areas in staging increasingly large anti-war protests. In Japan, the labour movement is also becoming more involved in anti-war activities. We actually do speak about that with Walsam about the um, the how central or not the labour movement is to the anti-war movement. And um, it's very um, uh, sad to hear about the uh, self-immobilization of that activist as well. Well, we now go to the Philippines where um, this is a good news story, which is uh, always happy to bring it. Um, In a great result for unionists in the service industry in the Philippines, Jenny Marcos has won her job back with full back pay. Now, Jenny is the leader of the Peninsula Employees Union, PEU, at the Manila Peninsula Hotel and was dismissed at the end of 2016 for her union activities. The union had been taking action to secure better working conditions as well as winning secure contracts for up to 400 contract workers. This win was achieved by the unrelenting efforts of the PEU, other local labour activists and unions as well as the RUF internationally. So well done to Jenny and all her comrades. And in the Philippines, um, the 45th anniversary of the Declaration of Martial Law by the late dictator Ferdinand Marcos on September 21 saw a major demonstration by activists against the current government of President Duterte. All the major labour and progressive groups took part in this protest against the increasing repressive policies of the current Filipino government. The massive toll that the murderous war on drugs has taken on working class communities and the declaration of martial law in Mindanao were the main issues for the rally. We now go to India, which um, unfortunately um, uh, we have to report some deaths to some of our comrades. Uh, in a horrif- horrifying industrial ex- accident, um, I- sorry, in a horrifying industrial incident, Direndra Verma and Dilip Kumar Verma were killed when the crushing mill they were inspecting started operating again. Three other workers who were also inside managed to escape with only minor injuries. For workers at this company, Ambuja Cement, located in uh, Chhattisgarh's Baluda Bazar district in central India, this is unfortunately not an isolated incident as four years ago a number of workers were killed when a container fell on them. Deaths like these once again highlight the importance of occupational health and safety measures and of independent trade unions. In Indonesia last week, the Indonesian Legal Aid Foundation had planned to hold a discussion between a discussion meeting between survivors of the military perpetrated 65 to 67 massacres of communists and their allies. Unfortunately, their building on the night was surrounded by hundreds of far-right activists who threw stones and bottles at people and the building. 
The meeting was eventually cancelled and participants were only able to safely leave hours later in the early hours of the morning. Given the far-right prominence during the last year, uh, gubernatorial Jakarta elections, the the ongoing strength by far-right organisations is a sign of real danger to all working-class activists in Indonesia. This is a. This, I think this also needs to be seen in the context of the growth of the far-right in lots of parts of the world, including in India, in Sri Lanka, in Australia, uh, right across the United States. I think it's time to confront the fascists are on the rise. Yep, yeah, yeah, that's totally um, correct. And um, we go to our last item, and uh, a new report by the International Labour Organization has quantified the number of workers that toil in some of the worst oppressive conditions around the world, and the numbers are really quite shocking. The report has found there are 40 million workers who are trapped in slavery, slavery-like conditions, and an additional 25 million work in forced labour conditions while there are an estimated 150 million children that are subjected to child labour conditions. Reports like this once again expose the brutality of the capitalist system that creates huge profits for a minority while exploiting millions of people around the world. Independent labour organisation coordinating industrial actions internationally are the best way for workers to advance their rights. And that um, brings us to the end of another news roundup of the region. We'll go to a um, community announcement and then we'll be back with the interview with Wilson Liam on the events in South Korea. Hello? Listen, I had a great idea. Male chauvinist pig versus hairy-legged feminist. You're still a feminist, right? I'm a tennis player who happens to be a woman. The battle you've all been waiting to see... The battle of the sexes. You want to see it, right? Then get along and support 3CR at the Palace Withcast Cinemas, 89 High Street, Northcote, on Thursday, October 5th, from 6.30pm, for a screening of Battle of the Sexes. You're offering the men's winner eight times what you're offering the women's winner. The men are simply more exciting to watch. It's just biology. <laughs> the story of the infamous tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. Tickets are $25 and $20 concession. You can purchase online at 3cr.org.au, direct from the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or by phoning 9419 8377 during business hours. All funds raised go to keeping 3CR on air. Battle of the Sexes screening, Thursday, October the 5th from 6.30pm. Does she have the nerve? Call Barbie. Time it's on. 12 minutes past 9 o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. Um... The, I spoke with Walsan Liam, who is the Director of International Affairs for the KPTU, the Korean Public Servants Union. As I mentioned earlier in the show, that's the biggest affiliate of the KCTU, which is the Militant Union Federation in South Korea. We discussed the political posturing between Kim Jong-un and President Donald Trump, President of the United States, Donald Trump, um, and the increasing possibility of war on the Korean Peninsula. Here's that discussion. There has been quite a lot of North Korea and the posturing between North Korea and the United States, Kim Jong-un and Trump um, in the news. And it's the, the threat of uh, nuclear war is is quite it's higher than it's been in a long time on the Korean Peninsula. And so, in fact, because 
Korea has been uh, under a truce, but in a state of war with a truce uh, over for the last 70 years. People in South Korea are generally quite numb to the, the tensions and the posturing that goes on back and forth. But things have moved to a different level recently for a couple of reasons, um, which means that there's a lot more tension and, and South Koreans are feeling a lot much more concerned than normal than usual about what's going on. And what's, what's happened is, I think, two things in summary. One is that since 2010, in 2010, uh, North Korea changed its constitution to designate itself as a nuclear possessing state. And it's been driving very hard to develop nuclear weapons uh, for the last several years. And it's made a lot of technical gains recently. So it almost has it's at the last stages of completing an intercontinental ballistic missile that is uh, loaded with a nuclear warhead that's small small enough to carry and uh, with the capacity to re-enter the atmosphere that would hit the United States. And so that has made obviously the United States very nervous. And on top of that, the second thing I was going to mention is that we have Trump who's very uh, bellicose and war and Trump and his administration very um, warmongering. And so we have this real war of words and threats and even the threat of using a military force against North Korea, which is escalating tensions severely. I, the reason that North Korea has been developing nuclear weapons is because the United States actually has a policy of of uh, the potential to use a preemptive nuclear strike against it. And so it feels like it has to have nuclear weapons to, to defend itself. And it said, unless you change that policy and sign a peace treaty with us and normalize relations, we're going to develop nuclear weapons. So that's what it's doing. Um, so this is both a historical issue, but one that's really uh, hit at all time high in the last in the recent months, um, particularly under the Trump administration, administration and with this kind of really uh, exacerbation of the situation by, because of Trump's very uh, warlike response to it. The decision earlier in the year by the US military to build a new terminal high altitude area defence system, which we call the THAAD system in South Korea, it sparked major protests uh, from Korean anti-war activists. Uh, obviously, and you've spoken about this, activists are worried that the deployment of this new system will only serve to heighten tensions in the Korean peninsula and make a war with North Korea more likely. Firstly, where is the development of the THAAD system at? Actually, the US military and uh, South Korean military authorities agreed suddenly to the station, the deployment of this the THAAD uh, missile defense system in South Korea last year, in July last year. And uh, despite having an actual treaty that they should have to bring a new weapon system into South Korea, and despite not having done uh, an environmental impact assessment on the area where they're, they're planning to do the deployment, which is required by law. And despite not having a uh, having passed this through the National Assembly, the, both the military authorities on both sides had gone forward with the deployment. This was actually agreed to under the previous conservative Pakken administration that was then toppled by uh, People's Uprising and Candlelight Uprising. And uh, the first, so the agreement had been made last July. There was been 
protests every night in the area uh, where the deployment is was scheduled to be taking to take place, which is the Sangju Kimcheon area um, and a small village inside the Sangju County called Sosongli. Um, there have been candlelight vigils in those in those three areas every night since the first announcement of of this agreement. Uh, the first deployment of actual SAD launchers took place on April 26th, which was after the the previous president stepped down, but before the new, much more liberal, supposedly left-leaning president came into power. And so, uh, we were hoping very much that this new president would listen to the calls of the people in that area and the people in South Korea who want peace on the peninsula and stop the deployment and go through all of the procedures that I mentioned earlier, at least to have some legitimacy behind the agreement. And unfortunately, uh, he's done exactly what happened um, before he took power, which was to rush the deployment, uh, a second deployment of four more launchers on uh, in the morning of September 7th. And so uh, you're right that this has sparked a, a movement or a lot of energy from peace activists around the country who have been protesting both in Seoul, but also going down to the Sangju, Sosongli area and protesting together with the residents in that area. And the last uh, move was in the night of September 6th and into the morning of the 7th, we gathered in that village to try to literally like physically block the deployment. Uh, but there were about 500 of us and uh, 8,000 police that were mobilized. And so unfortunately, we held off for several hours uh, with blocking the streets with our bodies. And um, But eventually the police were able to push the um, protesters aside and the military trucks drove in with uh, the launchers. So there are now six launchers, which makes one THAAD unit that are deployed in the area. But it the construction to create the base, um, they're, they're actually operational, but they're not stationary. And so I mean, they're not firmly um, planted in the ground there. And so we're, we're continuing to protest to call for an end to, to stop the construction, to stop their operation and to remove them from the village. Um, unfortunately, as you said, the, the uh, deployment of these the THAAD system both increases um, tensions with North Korea and also increases tensions with China because the radar that's part of that system, in fact, it's much more effective in uh, monitoring the Chinese missile sites in Chinese airspace than it is actually for shooting down North Korean missiles. There's a, there's a lot of information out there that demonstrates that this system is not really effective at all in shooting down uh, missiles coming from North Korea that might be targeting South Korea. And it's also not effective in shooting down intercontinental ballistic missiles, but it is it, the radar is effective for monitoring China and Chinese missile systems. And so it's really part of the United States' uh, effort to increase its military capacity in the region vis-a-vis -vis China, as China also develops its military capacity. And it's part of the, uh, the regional and global uh, United States' missile defense system, which is really about defending, uh, after, defending against for example, missiles coming from China after an initial attack to be able to reattack. So it's really hard to say that it's a defensive system. It's part of a larger weapon system and and an increase of military force in the region. As both um, as you mentioned, the the 
development of the THAAD system has re-energised and reactivated the anti-war movement in South Korea. I'm curious about the character of that anti-war slash peace movement. Is the labour movement, the organised labour movement, very much inside the anti-war peace movement? We try to be. Um, there in South Korea, the issue of anti-war peace is has a particular character because, uh, as you will know, the country is was divided at the start of the Cold War between North and South, and so it's a divided country, uh, which is highly militarized, as I mentioned before, still at war, although there's been a treaty. So there was never a, a, a peace treaty to formally end the Korean War that happened from 1950 to 1953, uh, which means that war could break out at any time. And so usually when we talk about peace, anti-war, we also talk about seeking unification of the country, um, as well as uh, the removal, removal of U.S. troops that are stationed in, in South Korea and the removal of U.S. military bases. And again, of course, the, uh, the abolition of the United States uh, aggressive preemptive strike policy towards North Korea. And so there's always been a movement for peace and unification in South Korea, and it's the policy of the Korean Confederation of Trade Unions and the Democratic Labor Movement to work together with that movement for unification and uh, to achieve a real lasting peace regime on the peninsula. And so we have uh, committees that are in charge of this work. For example, the my union, the KPTU, has an anti-war peace and unification committee, and we've been mobilizing people, for example, to go to Songju, Sozongli, to participate in the anti-thad protests, as well as doing education among our members and uh, going out to protests in the Seoul area as well to try to, as much as possible, um, be, as you said, I don't know if we're right in the center, but but to be as much as, as possible part of the anti-war and peace movement and unification movement. Well, the labour movement of South Korea certainly does have a long history of calling for the reunification of North and South Korea. In 2005, there was the landmark soccer game held between workers on both sides of the border. And again in 2015, but I actually don't know much about the 2015 um, soccer game. Can you tell us what uh, this particular activity is about and what its objective is in relation to reunification? Our goal with soccer games and other types of exchange between people in North and South Korea is it's about exactly that, having people-to-people exchange or worker-to-worker exchange. Uh, As most people will will guess, it's very hard to have any sort of exchange between North and South Korea, particularly on a civilian level, because it's controlled tightly by both sides. And so... Uh, from South Korea to travel to North Korea, you have to get permission from the government. From North Korea, you literally can't travel to South Korea. And anything, un- unfortunately, anything that we do with workers in North Korea has to be passed by the governments on both sides and is controlled by the government in, in North Korea. But for us, even though it's limited and even though our contact with workers in North Korea is limited, we still feel it's important. Uh, to demonstrate that, to, to get to know each other, at least to some extent, and to demonstrate that people on both sides want peaceful unification. And so one of the ways that is easy to do that and to get approval for is by doing a worker-to-worker soccer match. And there, 
So the two national centers in South Korea uh, um, are form two different teams, and then there is there is a uh, uh, an employment or a workers association, which is a branch of the government, but it is a workers association in North Korea uh, that we work with, and we end up having two games, one between the FKTU, which is the other national center, and the organization in North Korea, and one between the KCTU and uh, the workers in North Korea. And usually the North Koreans win because they're much younger than us. <laughs> but, um, but that's, I mean, that's essentially what happened. So in 2000, it's happened three or four times, um, actually. 2002, I think, was the first one. The last one was in 2015. And workers from South Korea went up to North Korea and had a soccer match, had the soccer match. And so it was sort of the last, it was surprising because it happened under a conservative government in South Korea. And it was the last type of exchange on this level that we've had with North Korean workers. Uh, but hopefully we will be able to work through the military and political tensions that are up at the moment to get to being able to do that in the future. I think that um, my own personal opinion is that you know those exchanges are they're good, but they don't they don't get at the heart of the problem, right? It, which is uh, to deal with the real political and military tensions between uh, United States and North Korea, North the United States' aggressive policy towards North Korea, the South Korea's uh, dependent military alliance with. Uh, with the United States. Those are the real tough issues. And until those are solved, you know, we may have gains, but uh, they may not, you know, they're not going to take us all that far, actually. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. It's 27 minutes past nine o'clock. You're on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. That was Walsan Liam, the International Director for the KPTU, the Korean Public Service Union in South Korea, speaking about the increased aggression between North Korea and the United States. That just about brings us to the end of the show, Pierre. It does, it does. I was just um, thinking when I was hearing the interview just how uh, troubling the the issue is for our comrades, our sisters and brothers in in South Korea, uh, and also you know what what they can do to stop this escalation. So um, it's a real uh, big issue. And um, oh, I could say that I, I wish our labour movement here in Australia would be a bit more active in the anti-military struggles, but that's possibly another conversation. What do you think, Giselle? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that and the consequences of war, such as refugees and uh, so on. Yes, that's right, that's we can right. continue to lament that or put pressure on our unions to take a, a different priority 
activity. <laughs> All right, I think we might as well. <laughs> On that uh, controversial note, <laughs> we might go to Palestine Remembered. No worries. And um, thanks for listening to Asia Pacific Currents, uh, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links on uh, the Labor Movement in the Asia Pacific region. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll have a committee announcements before Palestine Remembered, but that's all from me, Pierre. And me, Giselle Hanna. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.